Well, good morning, church. We're going to be looking at this topic of repentance. Is that everybody's favorite topic? Just like, I, I wish we could preach on repentance every single week. This idea of repentance, of turning away from where you were headed, turning around and going in a completely different direction. Everybody tracking with me? So every time you see the word repent in Scripture, it is somebody speaking on behalf of God saying, uh, guys, you're going the wrong way. Turn around. Repent. There's a brand new life that's being offered. So let's do this. Let's read 2 Corinthians chapter 7, and we will start in verse 8. For even if I made you grieve with my letter, I do not regret it, though I, I did regret it, for I see that the letter grieved you. Though only for a little while, only for a little while, verse 9, as it is, I rejoice. I rejoice not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting. For you felt a godly grief, everybody say godly, a godly grief so that you suffered no loss through us. Verse 10, for godly grief, the, the real thing, the good grief, it produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret. Whereas worldly grief, everybody say worldly, uh, not all grief is the same. Not all repentance is the same. Worldly grief produces death. For see what earnestness this godly grief has produced in you, but also what eagerness to clear yourself, what, what indignation, what fear, what longing, what zeal, what punishment. At every point, you have proved yourselves innocent in the matter. And Paul says this, so although I wrote to you, it was not for the sake of the one who did the wrong, not for the sake of the one who suffered the wrong, but in order that your earnestness for us might be revealed to you in the sight of God. And then he continues on, but today we just want to look at those few verses. Uh, if you don't have an outline, don't have a bulletin, go ahead and shoot up your hand. If you didn't get one earlier, our men will get that to you. But with your Bibles open, uh, with a handout there to be able to take notes and track with us, we're going to be looking at this. Real repentance changes everything. Real repentance. There's different kinds of repentance. There's different types of grief. But the real thing, have you experienced it? Have you experienced the real thing that has led to a changed life? Not just a changed eternity, but a changed lifestyle. And I pray that all of us would be able to lean in and hear what God has to say for us this morning. If you're taking notes, if you want to jot this down, as we think about real repentance changes everything. Anybody need change? Like I need something different in my life. This isn't working. I'm looking to my past and I have, I have a lot of regrets. Well, I hope today as we have our eyes in scripture, we're gonna see this. Is, is there godly grief or is my heart still hard? Looking at verse 10, as I look at my life, as I look in the mirror, is it just is it godly grief that I experience over sin, over my waywardness, over me getting distracted, over me getting drawn into the world, or is my heart still hard? And so Paul walks through this, and he, he's pretty bold. He's pretty bold as he's addressing the, the Corinthians. So, so in a sense, we could, we could summarize First and Second Corinthians this way, okay? We could summarize it this way. Paul would say, Dear Corinthians, knock it off! You are loved, Paul. Something like that. If you've read anything in the books of First or Second Corinthians, he is straight up, blunt, in your face, calling them, calling them out, very uncomfortable at times, 
because in the city of Corinth, we had some problems. Do you believe that there's problems in our culture, in our society, that, that even those that would say that they're Christians, that they follow Jesus, that we get sucked in, that we look just like and live for the same things? And Paul was so burdened for the believers in that day that they wouldn't be conformed to the world, but that they would, they would have a godly passion to have real repentance, turning away from the old way and turning to the, the new. So I wonder for us today, is there anything in your life that you would say, I can see where I'm slowly straying, I'm wandering. I, for a time I was kind of on, on course, on point, right down the middle, and then these past weeks, these past months, maybe all of a sudden COVID hit and you're like, I'm just, I'm wandering, I'm straying, feeling like you're floating downriver because trying to push against the current is so difficult. Well, here, Paul is saying this. You see this? Verse eight, for even if I made you grieve with my letter, and I'm thinking to myself, even if I make you grieve with, with this sermon, I do not regret it, he says. Though I, I did regret it, regret it a little bit, right? Because nobody, nobody likes to hurt those that they love. Agree? Can we agree on that? Nobody likes to inflict pain or discomfort on those that they love. And so Paul was conflicted of, I got to speak the truth. I got to call you out, but I, I love you, even though it's hard for me to say and it's even harder for you to hear. We need to talk about where is your heart? Where is your focus? Where is your lifestyle leading you? And so he says the, that grief was the beginning. Grief was the beginning. Have you ever experienced that? Like, I blew it, I messed up, I screwed up, I just gave in, I didn't fight temptation, I just keep on giving in, and something happens in our hearts, right? We're like, have you been there this past week maybe? There I go again. I did it again, I said it again. I, my eyes went there, my thoughts went there, my credit card went there, and it shouldn't have, right? Uh, I, I went to the place that I shouldn't have gone, I met up with the person that I shouldn't have, talk to. I was involved in the gossip or the slander, and I never should have been part of that. I, I made decisions that have consequences, and I never should have taken the first step, and now I'm all the way down the road. It starts with this, grief. My heart hurts that I said, God, thanks but no thanks. I'm going to do my own thing. It starts with grief. It starts with a, a burden on the heart of, I blew it. I messed up. I screwed up. I shouldn't have, but I did it. And he says, Grief is not equal. All grief is not equal. He says this, verse 9, do you see that? He says, I, I don't feel great that you were grieved, but you were grieved into repenting. That's one kind of grief is a grief that starts and you feel the weight of your wrong, you feel the weight of your sin, and it leads you to turn the other way. I don't want to keep living that way. I need something new. I hate keep living in the the old, the old, the old, the same thing. So what is, what is worldly grief? If there's godly grief and there's worldly grief, what does worldly grief sound like? The kind of grief that doesn't lead you to change your life. What, is, what does that sound like? What? I, I, have a, I have a few. I just wrote this down. Hey, I'm sorry I got caught, okay? I'm sorry you feel so bad about the thing that I did. I'm sorry that you got hurt. Obviously, you're really sensitive. I'm sorry that I look bad and my reputation is dented. I'm so sorry that you're so sensitive. I'm sorry that there's a mess to clean up now. I know I did it, but it's over. That's not repentance. That's not repentance. 
That's not repentance. There is a worldly grief that feels bad for a moment, and it's selfish. It's not, I feel bad, and I'm going to change, and I'm going to go to God. Instead, I'm going to keep doing it. I'm just going to work a little harder at not making such a mess or not getting caught. Have you been there? Like, how bad does it have to get before maybe I should change? Maybe I should stop doing the same things and expect different results. Paul says there's way different griefs. So what's the real, what's the real thing? What's the real thing? Well, if you want to jot this address down, here's what Joseph said in Genesis 39.9. Genesis 39.9. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Everybody say that's the real thing. Like being tempted, right? I don't know if you remember Joseph's story and that you have, uh, you have hot mama to the, the Pharaoh and guess what? He's working for the Pharaoh. She's after him. He says no, not because of his reputation, but because God's watching and he's concerned about sinning against God. And instead he says no to the temptation and he runs and he suffers because of it. That's the real thing. That's the real thing. I'm more concerned about what God thinks about this than what other people think. That's different, right? I'm more concerned about how the sin breaks relationship with God more so than I'm concerned about the consequences of my sin. Vertical more than the horizontal. I see that God sees me, and I want to do something different. 2 Corinthians 7, 9, back to verse 9. Worldly grief, it produces death. Everybody say, "Uh uh-oh. Here we go. So if there's this worldly grief that leads to death, what is that all about? Uh, A lifetime of shallow worldly grief. Repentance never comes. There's not a change of mind, not a change of heart. And here's why Paul is like, I know this grieved you. I know this hurt you. I know this caused tension between us. When he wrote the letter, the church was so appalled. They were so offended because Paul's saying, you feel a little bit bad for the things that you do wrong, but it actually doesn't lead you to live for God. It leads you to be convinced that you're okay with God, even though you're living for the world. It leads to death. And he's not just talking about like a little bit of heartache in this world. This is what Paul's saying. This is why it's so offensive. If you keep feeling a little bit bad for the wrong that you do and you never actually turn to God and change your life, you go to hell, is what Paul was saying. The end of this lifestyle is eternal separation from God. And you can imagine Paul writing this to those that he loves and he's saying, I know this is really hard to hear. I know that this is in your face. I know this is bold, but I love you so much that I'm not willing for you to keep on living a lifestyle where you're covering up and making excuses. Instead, repent. Turn away from death. Turn to life. There's hope. There's hope in Jesus. Everybody say there's hope. There's hope. There's hope. Because God saved you. If you're a Christian, God saved you to change you. Do you believe that? If you're a Christian, God saved you to change you. He didn't save you to leave you. He didn't say, Well, now that we got this whole heaven thing figured out, you can figure out the rest. Good luck, peace out, see you in heaven. God never said that. Instead, he said, I laid down my life for you so that you could now lay down your life for me the rest of your life, living it for things above, not on this earth, living it all in, fully committed 
for me. If you want to jot this down, Hebrews 9.27, we need to be reminded of this. It's appointed for man once to die, for people once to die, and then there's, there's judgment. There's no second chances. There, there's, no, uh, there, there's no waiting room after you die. The moment that you die, you are face-to-face with the judge, and it's too late by that point. Decisions have been made. Whether your repentance is real here matters in that split second. And how many of us know how much longer we have to live? How many of our loved ones do we think there's more time? There's going to be more time. They have plenty. And there wasn't. The decision you make today changes forever. And there's no second chances. And there's no redos. There's no reset. So godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation. Big R repentance. And, and for many of you, you know my, my story of 21 years of thinking I'm okay with God because I kind of grew up uh, around a church. We, we did the, I was a CEO Christian, I guess, the Christ, uh, Christmas, Easter, and other. We, we might have had one other uh, throughout the year. I was, I was in church uh, a few times a year growing up hearing, wah, 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 wah. Thank you, Charlie Brown. That's what I heard, not in the classroom, but in church. And then for me at 21 years old, facing 20 years in prison for drug dealing and, and other crimes, multiple felony accounts, guess what? That's what it took for God to get my attention that throughout the years there was a little bit of tears, there was a little bit of sorrow, there was a little bit of grief, but my grief for 21 years was, I can't believe I got caught. I I can't believe this is so hard on me. I can't believe that I'm in jail again. Woe is me, woe is me. Did that lead to salvation? Uh, No, a little bit of tears, a little bit of self-pity, led to I'll work harder the next time to try to get my way out of it and to be a little bit more careful living my way until June 16th of 2002 that God said, it's over. The party's over. It's time. Repent. And God met me in my car. I don't know if if you've met Jesus. I don't know where that was at. I don't know if you heard the gospel and God met you in a very specific way. Uh, But for me, driving home Father's Day to my family, I left the house that morning one way, feeling a little bit bad for some of the bad stuff that I did. And when I came home that day, I walked in with godly grief that led me to repentance, that led to salvation. They didn't recognize me when I walked in. I was brand new. Real repentance leads to a real change, even to the point where people can tell, they can see, they know something has happened. Is that you? Can people see? It's clear that you are not living for yourself. You're not living for this world. You're living for King Jesus. And here we have number two, if you're taking notes. Have the excuses ceased? Have they stopped? Have the excuses ceased? Or... Or is my mind still rationalizing? Is my mind still rationalizing? Verse nine, for, for you felt a godly grief so that you suffered no loss through us. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation. And the word, again, salvation there is to be saved, big salvation, but it's also God save me from continuing to go down the same 
road again and again with regret, with heartache, repeating the same things over and over again. And I don't know who needs to hear this, but as long as we persist with our, with our excuses, as long as we keep lying to ourselves, I'm going to remain trapped in the downward spiral of regret. Anybody got regrets? And how many times has God tried to get our attention of the reason that you keep experiencing regret after regret is because you keep living your own way. You keep doing your own thing. You're doing the wrong in a couple different creative ways over and over again, and it leads to regret after regret after regret. And at some point, either you're going to double down on the excuses as to why your situation's different and why it's not your fault, or you are going to cry out for grace and to take ownership. How many in our culture are taking ownership over their, over their mess in their lives, over their addictions, over all of their past hurts? How many people are taking ownership and saying, it's me, it's me. It's the way I'm responding. It's the way that, it's not what I went through, it's how I'm responding to what I went through and I'm not going to make excuses anymore. No more excuses. No more excuses. Turn to your neighbor and say, no more excuses. Let them know. You can, t- you can tell me, right? I need to hear it too. I need to hear it too, right? No more excuses. We're not doing it. Not doing it. I'm not going down that road any longer. Have the excuses stopped or is the mind still grasping for rationalizations? Romans 15, 14, if you want to jot that down. I'm persuaded of better things concerning you, Paul says to the church in in Rome. I am fully convinced that God has something better than more and more regrets. Do you believe that? Do you believe that this morning? God's plan is not for you to continue going through your life with, I blew it again and I messed up again and it's got to be somebody else's fault. There's better things. There's better things for you and God. God wants to pour it out, but we have to own our thing for God to do his thing. So do we own it? Do we own it? It's me. It's my failures. It's my faults. I'm not going to continue doing this any longer. Here we go. I have rationalizations, okay? What types of things do we persuade ourselves of? And obviously, we have to have a good title, right? So here's five raunchy rationalizations. Everybody say raunchy. Raunchy. Oh, what does that smell? Oh, that's my excuses, right? Oh, that stinks. Can somebody take out the garbage? Oh, that's all my rationalizations of why it's somebody else's fault. Oh, it stinks so bad. So what, what, are, what are five of them? Here, here's one. Compare, 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 compare. I, I, I can p- compare my thing to their thing, and my thing's not as bad as their thing, and at least I don't do what they do, and look at what everybody else is doing, and why do you focus on my thing? You got your own stuff, and compare, compare, compare. Why are you picking on me? Why are you picking on me? And for some of us, even right now, you're like, preacher, preacher, you got your own stuff too. You got your own stuff too. Yeah, yeah. I look in my mirror, you look in your mirror, right? And we're able to, instead of comparing, we're able to take ownership of, of our thing. How about this number two? Deny it, right? I deny, deny, deny. It's all good, bro. It's all good. It's all good. Shot it. It's all good. Everything's good. I'm fine. Are you fine? I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. We're all fine. We're all fine. Are we really all fine? We're not fine but we deny it. We deny it. It's not a big deal. If nobody's noticing, nobody spots me. I know that's what I do every morning. Just trying to deny it. I just scream like it's not there. It's not there. It's going to go away. Time will heal. Nope, nope, nope. So can I clue you in? Everybody else sees your baggage. Just be honest and confess that you see it too. Okay. Everybody else knows that you're a mess. Just be honest with yourself. 
that you're a mess. Everybody knows that you don't have your life together. Just be honest with you that your life is not all together, right? And for some of us, we just need to be reminded that social media highlights of others is not real life. And as we compare, we deny. Here we go, number three. We run from it. We run. If I can't deny it and it's too obvious, I just try to avoid it, try to run away. I get stick in my closet. And if, if I stay really busy, how many of us, how many of us, uh, I'm guilty, how many of us have gone through seasons where we schedule ourselves to death because if we just keep moving quickly and we keep our schedule full, we don't have to actually face what's really going on inside. If I can just distract myself with all the things that are in my life and that are coming up and planning and planning and planning and going and going and going, then I don't have to think about me and I don't have to think about the mess and I don't have to think about the places that God's calling me to repent, to turn away, to go in a different direction. I run, I run, I run, but you can't outrun your regrets and you can't outrun your past and you can't outrun the consequences. Someday, It all washes up on your shore. And if you don't deal with it now, you're going to deal with it later. And for us to be honest, right, we we stop rationalizing. How about this? Number four, blame shift it. I just blame shift it. Uh, there, There is a problem, and it's me. Those might be the hardest words to ever say, right? And I know for for some, I've been in, in offices, counseling scenarios where people have been really honest, and they said, you know what, Pastor John, I'm seeing things clearly now. Thank you for your help. The problem is you. Because nobody has ever told me these things before. This is the first time I'm ever hearing that I have to take ownership of my problems. And if you're the only one saying that, it's you. You're the problem. You're the problem. I've had people walk out of my office in the middle of marriage counseling and one says, oh, I see clearly what's happening here. It's all of my fault and I will not have it be any of my fault and therefore we're done. You're to blame. Thanks, but no thanks, pastor. I'm out of here, right? Blame shift, blame shift. Why does it have to be me? Why am I to blame? Well, you can't repent where you don't take ownership, right? And you're not gonna take ownership unless you get honest about where you're really at. How about this? Number five, lastly, excuse it, excuse it. It's really hard for me right now, and you don't understand my backstory. You don't understand what I'm facing. You don't understand the pressures. We all have excuses. We all have them. And the beauty is Jesus wants to help us peel back all the layers to be able to see all these things sound really good, but they're not true. They're not true. This is not reality. So today, what if, what if, what if each one of us could take responsibility, take ownership, and say, I am going to face what's in the mirror. I'm gonna own what I've done. I'm gonna own the things I've said. I'm gonna own where I lack commitment to my God and I'm fully committed to things that don't matter. And I'm not gonna excuse it. I'm not gonna blame. I'm gonna do that. And you can do that today. Everybody say that's good news. That's really good news. It's really, really hard to be really, really honest and it's really, really good to take ownership and have godly grief. So here we go. Is there godly grief or is my heart still hard? Have the excuses ceased or is my mind still rationalizing? Is there quick, here we go, is there quick confession or is my mouth still blaming? Is my mouth still blaming? Verse 11, do you see that? 
For see what earnestness this godly grief has produced in you. It's producing something awesome. It's awesome. It's awesome. It's awesome what the grief is producing. Everybody say it's awesome. It's awesome. And Paul saw it and he's like, more of that, more of that. This is godly grief. It's doing something amazing. He said the earnestness, the the passion, the honesty. He's looking at a church that was a messy church. Good thing we're nothing like the church in Corinth, not like those people. (laughs) We're so much, so much better. He saw a mess. He saw a messy church. He was honest about the condition, and he was so quick to be able to give good news that if you take ownership and you confess it, that there is goodness coming in the future. Honesty with the ability not to blame and not to confess, he says, this is leading to awesome, awesome things. And it I don't know if there's a time in your life where you just recognized, I've been deceiving myself. I've been blaming everybody else my whole life. Some of the the hardest moments in my life have been sitting with those at the end of their life, and they have decades and decades and decades of stories to tell about how they had been a victim their whole life, how nothing went their way, how if things were different, they would be different, and their life is filled with regret to the point of people in their 70s that I have worked with that, that said, as I look back, I've just wasted it. I've wasted my life. I've spent so much time blaming all of my circumstances and my upbringing, and I've blamed my personality, and I blame my spouse. Spouses are such a good target, right? And the blame, and the blame, and the blame. And here's what's awesome. Awesome things happen to those who get honest who get honest, right? I remember the first time I was able to share my story, how powerful it is to be honest and say, I've been to AA twice. I've been to NA once. I've been in and out of jail four, five, six different times. And I'm not that person, not because I had a little bit of grief, but because godly grief led to a radical transformation of direction, totally different. And you know what's awesome? You know what's awesome? That there's there's no shame attached to my past because Jesus takes our shame. He took the shame on the cross. He took it so that anybody that finds out anything about my past, I'm like, well, about, about time you caught up, about time you, you found out the, the truth, right? Nothing to hide, nothing to try to compensate for, make up for, or overcome from our past. Jesus does that. Jesus does that. So if you don't have Jesus, how is your thing going? How is the thing of trying to outrun your past and trying to deal with your shame and your guilt of the past. How's that going apart from Jesus? If we're all honest and we don't have Jesus, we're saying, not awesome. It's not awesome. We can't overcome and we can't move forward and we can't get free. More and more regrets. No more covering up. No more excusing. No more lying to everybody. Freedom. Freedom is found here. How about this? Number four, is there energetic restitution or is my will still reluctant? Am I I still reluctant. What is verse 11? He says, what eagerness to clear yourselves, to clear yourselves up, to be able to clear yourself. He's talking about intentional, urgent, energetic movement of, I want to make things right. I want to clear my name. I know I've done wrong and I want to make up for it. Anybody know this guy named Zacchaeus? I heard he was a wee little man and a wee little man was he. But Zacchaeus, he was a bad mamma even though he was a very, very short man, all right? He made up for it by being a capital criminal thievery, right? Not just a tax collector. That was already bad. He maximized his position to steal and steal and steal, right? A pagan, godless dude like that 
knew that Jesus had something to offer him that could change his life. He knew that happiness was not found in money. It wasn't found in stuff because he had it all. And, and guess what happened? Jesus didn't push him away. He didn't shy away from bringing him in and getting close to him, having proximity with a hated criminal. And do you know what happened to Zacchaeus? Did Zacchaeus feel like a little bit of grief and he felt a little bit bad about what he had been doing? Well, if he did, he would, he would have been making excuses and blame shifting and talking about all of his circumstances and situations. But instead, how do you know that Zacchaeus actually repented? How do you know? How do you know? How do you know? How do you know if you've actually repented of sin? How do you know that you've turned away from your old life? Here's what we see in Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was not told what to do to make restitution. A changed heart leads to changed priorities, changed values. Do you know what Zacchaeus did? He didn't just give a little bit back. He gave back four times what he had taken. He was passionate about making the wrongs right, about ensuring that people knew that his heart was different, and it was so different that instead of stealing and taking and hoarding, that he was now a man of generosity, and all Jesus did was call him to turn around, to turn away, to come to him and follow him. The really, really good news for all of us is that nobody needs to give you a list of here's how you make things right. Instead, if we experience the power of Jesus, something happens in our hearts where we're like, I don't want to go back to that. In fact, I want to do the exact opposite of the old way that led to death. I am new and I want new life and I want life for others so powerful. Is Zacchaeus' story your story? of I'm so done with the old, I am passionate about making the wrongs right as much as I, I can. And I, I don't know about you, but I've had many, many situations that I look back and say, I can't make restitution. Do we know what restitution is? I, I know that I hurt somebody. I know I took something. I know that I'm wrong. And I need to take steps to at least try, right? Try to make it right. How do I make amends? How do I make restitution? Have you done anything where you look back and say, there's no way I can undo that? Sometimes I reflect on where I've been and there's moments of just flashes of scenarios and situations where I have hurt people so bad and I think, I can't undo that. I can't, I can't undo that conversation. I can't undo my fist to her face. I can't undo that. I can't undo the stealing. I can't undo destroying people's reputations. I, I, I can't make it go away. And there's a couple places that I think it hurts the most when we can't make restitution. What, what types of scenarios, if you're jotting this down, have you had wasted opportunity? Wasted opportunity? Where you, you can't make it right. I, I want to own my failure without excuse. I want to make an energetic effort to fix the fallout of my failure but when I can't, when I can't, James 4, 7 says this, so whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it for him, it is, it's sin, it's sin. For some, I was just so busy, I didn't have time for the kids. Our kids had everything except for us, but now they're grown and they don't want anything to do with us or Jesus. Now what? Now what? How do you undo that? How do you undo that? God opening up doors. I remember a scenario where a relative that was, that was close to me had an opportunity to share the gospel. And my, my cousin was in her 30s, dying of stage four cancer. 
I'm the only believer that I know that's, that's around her. I didn't have a sister, but I had her. And on her deathbed, I'm in hospice with her. And I know I have an opportunity. And I have a short opportunity to be able to share the good news that she wouldn't pass away into a godless hell. And I wasted it. When the good news is supposed to be coming out, and instead, I'm thinking about other things. I'm thinking about myself, and I'm thinking about the reaction and the response. Have you had any wasted opportunities? They were right in front of you. I should have taken it. I should have grabbed hold of it. God, God set that scenario up for me, and I blew it. I can't go back. I can't go back. How about this? Selfish indulgence. Matthew 26, 41. If you want to jot that down, Matthew 26, 41. Watch and pray that you do not enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but, anybody want to finish it? But the, the flesh is, it's weak, right? The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Watch and pray. Temptation is, is real. I don't know, for, for some, of, some of us, we're looking back at our lives and we're like, alcoholic binges, angry outbursts, private pornography, repeated gluttony, red hot rage, willful lust, compulsive spending, pathological lying, sinful correction as a parent, and anger, unashamed addictions. It's hard to repent when the way forward in restitution is fuzzy, and we need grace, don't we? The things that we've done, the things that we can't take back, we can't undo it, but I pray that this would be true in your heart, that if you've blown it, anybody blow it? Anybody ever blow it? Anybody spend years and years like expert, messer-upper? Regret, regret. The story's not over yet, and I want us to hear this. Even though you made a mess when you had an opportunity, there are people around you that have not gone down that path yet, but they might be on the verge. And God is sending you as a mouthpiece, not to say, I'm an expert in this area and I've perfected how to do it righteously and holy. Instead, you have a story of, if I could only go back, but I can't. But maybe restitution looks like I'm going to make it my mission the rest of my life to be able to help others and prevent others from going down that path. And maybe as a parent or a grandparent, you're in a season where you're like, I might have blown it to this point, but I'm going to do everything I can moving forward to think differently about the influence that I have in my family. Or maybe for some of us, hear this, hear this. We, we, get, we got five young ones, all right? How many in generations to, to come are going to be impacted because you chose to pour your life out into young families and young couples to be able to have them learn from your mistakes that they wouldn't go that way? What if there are generations to come that are going to be impacted by you, not because you got it right, but because you got it wrong, absolutely wrong? And God's saying, it's time to redeem the broken past. It's time to redeem the mess-ups. It's time for you to make restitution, not by going back and undoing it, but by training up and teaching and equipping others to be able to go down a different path than you did. And this is just a side note. Some of us have grown kids that might need a conversation from mom and dad to say, how did I blow it? Where does it hurt? Can we have an honest conversation about the things that I didn't get right? 
Because repentance looks like humility and teachability. It looks like the ability to own, even when it's painful because you don't want to hear what you failed at. But do you know the number of families that I've been able to watch where restitution looks like humble request of confession and maybe even accusations? And how many parents, how many grandparents that I've watched to be able to sit with their family and say, help me be better. Help me to help others be better. And how many broken hearts have healed because we were willing to say, I got it wrong. I got it wrong. I know now, but I didn't know then. And I've shared the story with with my mom, the number of conversations where she's been able to quietly, humbly, she's radically saved, by the way. She's been able to humbly sit down and say, John, I really blew it with you, didn't I? I failed. I hurt you, didn't I? I didn't want you. I didn't want another son, and I especially didn't want one like you. You felt that, didn't you? Yes, every day of my life. And for a mom to say, I can't make it right, but I have regrets. I'm so sorry. Do you know what that does? Do you know what that does? Who chooses the humble way? Who chooses to initiate those conversations? You do. You're not waiting for it. You're proactive, having the conversation, hearing the hard thing, even when you can't make restitution, you can't undo the past because repentance changes everything. The real thing, real repentance changes everything. Here we go, number five. Everybody say land the plane. All right, here we go. Is there a disgust or is my desire to return? Is there disgust over my sin, over my failure, over my rebellion, or is there a desire to go, to go back? He says, what indignation. Like, this is so disgusting to me. I'm looking at the past, and just if it's just worldly, and, and there's just a little bit of grief, he's like, no, when it's the real thing, when it's vertical repentance, repulsed. I don't want to go there anymore. I don't want to go. What I thought was so attractive, I now see as nauseating. Oh, we got a few, few slides just as we, as we wrap up about this. Uh, we have some delicacies from around the world, all right? Speaking of what some see as attractive and, and so satisfying that maybe some of us would have a different perspective about, all right? So this is, it's, <clears throat> can I do my best Japanese? No, not even going to try it, all right? Shirako, all right? It literally means white children and you eat it, all right? There you go. It refers to sperm sacs of a puffer fish. It looks like a miniature brain and they are said to have a sweet, custardy taste. Everybody say yum. Oh, that is delicious, right? How about this? We, we got another one called, uh, known as rotten cheese. In Sardinia, it's casu marzu. It's made of pecorino that has gone bad, like really, really bad. It's the larva of cheese flies added to pecorino hatching inside, burrowing around, digesting the fat, and the result is a weeping tongue-burning delicacy that you can eat with or without maggots. I mean, that's offered on the side. Everybody say yum. Yeah, that's good, right? How about corn smut? We got some corn smut, just the name. It's a fungus that turns normal corn kernels into tumor-like growth covered in spores. To most people, that's a diseased corn cob to some, and it needs to be thrown out. But to others, 
It's a culinary specialty in Mexico, and it is amazing. It literally means sleeping excrement. Mm, I don't know what you're eating for lunch. Maybe. Let's, let's do it. Apparently, it has a woody, earthy flavor. Mm, yum. All right. Few people have looked at triantulas and thought, that looks amazing. Let's do lunch. But uh, there are spiders in Cambodia that during seasons of starvation, it became popular because out of necessity, but now they like to deep fry it as a snack. Deep fried tarantulas. Apparently, it tastes a little bit like crab. Mm, lovely, lovely. So think about this. Disgust, disgust. Like I used to love it and now I hate it. I used to always want to hang out with those friends, pursue that thing. I thought that if I worked my way up and, and got the promotions and I made enough and I bought the car and I bought the house and I got the boat and I got, I got, I got, that it would make me happy. And, and here's the deal. The things that I used to think were so attractive and I had to have it and uh, first spouse, not, not working out second, maybe the third. By the eighth or ninth, I mean, like, there's got to be the perfect one out there. And, and pretty soon, meeting with Jesus makes you realize these things are not going to make me happy. These people will never make me happy. There is no ideal. We're living in a fallen world. The thing that I used to want so bad, now I look at and go, empty. I don't want any of that. Have you experienced the new birth where you were going one way thinking I can be good enough right, to appease God, I can be religious enough, I can work really hard to make God happy, or for some of us, our way was just, I don't want God in my life at all, I hate church, they're all hypocrites at church, and at some point in your life, you said, God, I'm going to you, I'm turning your way, I'm going to follow you, you're the boss of my life, I'm not living for me anymore, the things that used to be so attractive, it's disgusting, Paul says, that's real repentance. And as the worship team comes up, I, I want us to just quiet our hearts as we, as we consider maybe the areas of our life where God is calling us to repent, to turn away, to turn around, to go in a different direction. Let's stand together and let's just read, let's read this. Think about going into this week, what do I do now? What now? Can we read these together? Just the, these two resolutions of what am I willing to do? Okay, first one, everybody together. I am willing to cause godly regret. I, I'm willing to call somebody out. I'm willing to have a discussion where I see a brother or sister straying and wandering. I'm willing to be bold enough, not because I'm perfect, but because I love. And when I love people, I want to call them to safety. I want to call them to repent, to turn around. But also, here's the big one. Can we say this one together? I am willing to accept godly regret. If God's putting something on your heart, to stop making excuses, to stop blaming, to stop saying, it's just the way it's been, it's just the way I am, it's just the way that I've always lived, always thought. What if today is I'm willing to be confronted, I'm willing for, for God to call me out, and that even though I was going this way, I'm gonna choose to repent, and I'm gonna go a brand new way that leads no more regrets, it leads to joy, it leads to peace. So Father, right now, you are, at work in us, changing our perspective, changing the way that we see our past regrets. God, change the way that we think about where we're at today, right now, with you. God, if there's anybody here that has been trying really hard to be good enough, that they would recognize, Jesus, only you are good enough. We can never be good enough. We, we can't overcome all the badness with some goodness. 
God, for those of us that have just kind of been living our own way, being the boss of our life, call them the shots, that today could be the day where we say, Jesus, be the boss. You are the king. You are the Lord of my life. Forgive me. I want to repent. I want to turn around. I want to go in a new direction. I want to experience life and forgiveness, joy. God, I pray that you would do that work in our hearts today. Wherever you're calling us to speak up, to speak the truth into people's lives, give us boldness. Wherever people are trying to help us, that we would have ears to hear. So we pray all these things in Jesus' glorious name. Amen.